0: Amen. Thank you, Amber and uh, church. Just want to address a couple things by way of announcement. Uh, It was good to have our ministry training hour this morning. And for those who've attended, I was of little faith and prepared for like 20. And I think we had 35 or more. So we'll be in a bigger room next week. So it's okay. It's all my fault. Yes, sir. Okay, let's... I'll forget that as well, but I like it. Okay. I have no idea what it is, but I know I know what time it starts at, 9.45. Now, I don't... Daryl has already confirmed, and welcome, Daryl, back. He's confirmed I have no idea when it ends, see, uh, but... Uh, it does start at 9.45, and if you're traveling, I know folks come in and they're late and so forth. It's okay. Uh, we'll have a bigger room so you won't be as noticed next time. We had to roll tables out and put in chairs, So, but, uh, you know, I'd rather have that problem than nobody show up at all. Um, we're, it, it's a blessing and good to have you with us. Um, Gordon's uh, an excellent teacher, as you already know, and uh, and if you don't, please come and listen, we're going through the Apostles' Creed. I appreciate Gordon's preparation for that. It would be very helpful. Uh, we will also email out uh, the, uh, the answer sheet for today, if you will. And uh, we'll get it to the whole church. And if you can be a part of it next week. Uh, please do so. And, and again, if if uh, something happens and you're a little behind, it's okay. Come on in, and uh, we we'll, but we will begin promptly at the fellowship hall at nine forty-five next week. <coughs> um, the rest of the announcements are pretty much in your worship folder and in the bulletin. Uh, we have the men's Bible study, the uh, ladies' Bible study. What's not in there, though, is we're restarting also a prayer time. And if you want to be a part of that. Uh, I'm leading, or at least hosting, if you will, not necessarily leading. We just gather together to pray, the men do, at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning to pray for this hour particularly and for the church in general as well. So if you want to meet, men will be in the little cottage next to the church. Uh, at nine o'clock and we prayed this morning and then ladies um, if you want to gather together to pray to the large classroom that's uh, in the church right below us at nine o'clock that'll be available and and uh, hope some of you come uh, to pray to pray for the salvation of souls and sanctification of God's people and I think it's an incredibly important part uh, Spurgeon often remarked uh, about uh, how He had great power in his ministry and in his pulpit, and he said it was due to the folks that came and prayed. And so uh, if you have other responsibilities, we understand that you can pray anytime, anywhere, Uh, but this is a special time, and we invite you to be a part of that and see how God uses that. And uh, we restarted that uh, this morning, and we're going to continue that uh, in the days ahead. All right, if you look in, I think the rest of the announcements are self-explanatory. You can find them there. Uh, But to prepare our hearts then, we're going to have communion here in just a moment. And you can look in your worship folder. We have 1 Corinthians 11. I might say a thing or two about that in a moment, about this long section that Paul addresses to the church of Corinth concerning communion. Essentially, the elements that we're going to receive, will not confer grace to you, but they're provided to remind us of the grace that is granted to us. And it's a special time. It does say in the scripture to examine your own heart, right? And, but in doing so, so that you may join us. If you have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, and you have been obedient to him in believer's baptism, and you have confessed your sins to Christ, come and receive in a worthy manner. We'll give you a moment to confess your sin privately where you're at, to take a moment, and then I'll pray for us uh, pastorally here in just one moment. So let's prepare our hearts to receive communion with Christ and to worship him today. I'll give you a moment now, and then I'll pray for us corporately. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, we have gathered here together as your saints, made saints by Jesus Christ. Because you, Lord, are forgiving, you're good, you're always abounding in love. You have changed our hearts to incite us to indeed call on you. Not in the perfection of our mind and our affections and in our actions, but really in a desperation. We recognize the fact that we do not measure up, and yet you will hear us. You will hear us because you will hear your Son. It is through Jesus Christ that we plead before you now. It is through his blood that propitiates our sin. It is through his perfect life that... uh, gives us merit to stand before you dressed in the righteousness of Christ, not in the rags of our own doing and life. You will answer our cries for mercy, and we cry out now. I cry out for even the young folks who will witness this remembrance of Christ, that it may be uh, a seed sown deep in their soul, that you will awaken to great life and fruitfulness in the days ahead. I pray for everyone, everyone, that they will indeed truly confess Christ as Lord. As we gathered around, we, we are patiently waiting to commune in your absolute presence with Christ in the fullness of joy as he waits to receive us. I pray, Father, in the meantime, in this temporary life that we will do all things to your glory, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, I pray that you will receive our hymns of praise to you in the fullness in which it's intended. I pray, Father, that it will strike deep in our hearts to bring to remembrance those things that we love and adore, those things that are ever uh, with us permanent foundational to our entire life. I pray that you would bless your people, feed them with great truth, comfort those that need comforting for those that have or even thinking of wavering. I pray great conviction would be upon them. I pray, Father, that you will strengthen us to stand in all boldness of the faith. I pray that we would be assured of the love of God in Christ Jesus for all your beloved. May we with great joy worship you this day. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to prepare the communion. And as you know, if you've been with us, I'll prepare the table in just one moment, but we will serve it. And I'm a creature of habit. Start from this side, then the middle, and then this side. Uh, you'll come up receive your elements then return back to your seat and then we'll wait to take them together Uh, that's the idea of holy communion we will commune with christ together as a body in christ which you'll receive the elements in that way Um, our hymn that we'll sing after is holy 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 you can go ahead and turn there now And um, I'm going to uh, ask Amber to uh, to play, and Blake to lead us on this first line, uh, verse 1, to sing it together, to put us in the idea of what we're doing in communion with Christ. And perhaps in your mind, when you sing through this, you think about Isaiah getting a View of the throne room of God in Isaiah 6 is rightfully so. But if you notice here, it says Revelation 4 8 is the verse in our hymn book. And this is a great passage. You may want to uh, meditate on that as well. Here is another view by the Apostle John, whose gospel we'll be looking at in just uh, a bit. He sees the very throne room of God, and in it, he sees Christ. And his response to that is the same. He sees witnesses to Christ who's, who never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I can't think of a greater way to begin our worship of Christ than to think in the thrice holy perfections of who he is. He is holy, holy, holy. Let's go ahead and stand and sing. I'll tell you what. Let's, I'll tell you what. Let's, instead of standing, let's go ahead and just remain seated. Let's do that. Sorry. Um, and think of it in a meditative way. Blake will come up and lead us on this first verse, and then we'll play the music and just have—I'll um, order the, uh, 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 the picking up of the elements. Blake, if you'll go ahead and lead us. Holy, 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 number 68.
1: this opportunity to partake of the fruit of the vine the blood of Christ that represents and the body of Christ in the wafer father we just pray that you would bless now each and every soul as we partake of it in Jesus name amen, amen. Two
0: elements of- Second.
2: Let's all stand together. Sixty eight. Verse two, three, and four. Let's flip over to 28 and sing to God be the glory as we continue to focus in our hymns this morning with uh, glory and holiness of our Lord. The Lord has done great things for us and we were joyful. Psalm 126, 3, number 28. seated
3: good morning church please turn with me if you will to Psalm 57 in your copy of God's Word if you'd like to follow along in the pew Bible you can find this on page 477 In recent previous weeks, in the headings, uh, there have been many examples of David's trials while being pursued by King Saul, and uh, some of the men have done a great job of setting the context for us in those, and we have another uh, this morning in Psalm 57, a victim of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. I'm just going to read the first verse before i read the whole psalm be merciful to me O god be merciful to me for in you my soul takes refuge in the shadow of your wings i will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by just as god protected david from king saul if you are in christ your soul will be protected from destruction Though you may encounter those who can destroy the body, your soul will be protected forever. Let us read. To the choirmaster according to Do Not Destroy, a mictum of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge, till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let us pray. Father, your glory is over all the earth. And one day we will see with our eyes, Father, this fact. Father, I pray that in the meantime, while we are here on earth about your business, let us glory in your steadfast love, in your faithfulness. I pray that this would be what spurs us on, what gets us out of bed in the morning. I pray that it would be what causes us to love righteousness and hate sin. Father, I pray you would pour out much grace on us this morning, on anyone within the sound of my voice who may not know Christ as Lord. Please show mercy. Please show grace. Father, help us. Help us to walk in your ways. I pray that you would use these offerings given today to further your kingdom, to bring more glory to the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that that is what our lives would be about. I pray that you would be with our pastor this morning as he faithfully explains your word to us. And I pray that through the power of your word and your Holy Spirit, Father, that we would be holy as you are holy and that you would draw many peoples to yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: and stand in terms of number 222. 222 was sing, all glory, laud, and honor. All glory, laud, and honor to the Redeemer King. 222.
0: church let's continue our worship of Christ today in his word invite you to look at the high priestly prayer of Christ in John chapter 17 again I see at least six components I'm not sure if we'll do a message for each we'll see how they unfold but here we will focus on verse 12 mention verse 15 as well This section here, John 17, is the high priestly prayer of Christ that he prays for his disciples. And we will find out in the text, this is certainly applicable to all who would follow Christ and therefore be his disciples, but nevertheless, this is Christ's high priestly prayer, the prayer that he prays to the Father, the prayer that is symbolized in the Old Testament, high priest who went before the throne of God and first brought prayer and then brought sacrifice. Well, Christ is about to die on the cross and provide the sacrifice, the payment for sin, but it begins and proceeds with prayer. And here we get an insight into what this prayer is about. This first part of it here after he prays about his, his own glory to be manifested in the first five verses, his glory to be manifested in the disciples themselves, his glory, meaning his, the beauty of his divine perfections, that is, his disciples are conformed to Christ, manifest that glory in the world. Here we have a specific prayer for the saints, as we've already noted. One is for their unity, fundamentally unity with God. And that unity, as we've talked about, comes only through the Son, it is through the Son that you will be united to God, and that union then does overflow into the union of one another, even in this temporal life. That is the basis of our gathering together as saints. It's not because we like the same kinds of clothes or foods or habits or doing things. In fact, the beauty is to see true diversity which is not external, but really just different thoughts and ideas and practices, but one unity, and that is Christ. That is what's first and foremost. Other things we can think about and debate about and and make good decisions and seek wisdom on, no doubt, but Christ is first and foremost. And it's for that unity that Christ prays. How could he bring together these disciples, as we mentioned, who are so diverse? I mean, uh, the example I gave last week was uh, Matthew, the the sellout, a tax collector, right? And then you had Simon the Zealot, who was the political activist, if you will. They would have been opponents. What brought them together? It is Christ, Christ alone. And Christ is the answer to to the question that our world asks, why can't we all just get along? Because you must be conformed to Christ. That's the answer. Anything that doesn't look like Christ needs to be chipped away. Well, he prays for that unity. Our focus, though, this, this morning, however, will be on verse... 12, which is, if you'll note here, it does talk about Christ guarding his people. And and hence the imagery of this that those that are in Christ are guarded by God. And it is through the means of Christ's high priestly prayer in which he says in verse 12, I have guarded them. Christ, by the way, ever lives to make intercession for his people. Okay? He continues this high priestly prayer, which the symbolism was that one time. Well, Christ, as Hebrews 7.25 says, he continues on. He always lives. He always makes intercession on behalf of his people. This intercession we're looking at now is being guarded. Now, he does say that he kept them and then he says he guarded them, if you will. The keeping, as we mentioned in a previous sermon, has more to do with keeping their loyalty, keeping them faithful to God. The guarding, it is a different word, but it's and it is a synonym to keeping, but it is a little different emphasis. And that is, the guarding is more the imagery of protecting, if you will, protecting from forces that would bring about your demise. Guard, if you think of a castle with a guard, the guard's going to protect the castle, right? The fortress. That's the imagery here. It is Jesus who is the mighty protector, the guardian of the saints, And it is his prayer, his continuous prayer, intercession for the believer that indeed the believers are guarded by God. And that's an important thing to note in our culture. We don't think about the idea that God is about the guard, the protector. There's a mythological understanding of many due to various reasons, perhaps superstition, perhaps some misunderstanding of the scriptures promoted by a number of groups, Roman Catholics, one, other mystics, cultist groups, who their focus is on some sort of angelic being being your guard, and hence the idea of a guardian angel. I am here to announce to you that God is the guard. God is the guard. It is this prayer of Christ for his saints, the reason that we are guarded. He may send out and dispatch immaterial beings, Angelic beings, if you will, to accomplish his will and his purposes, but they are just ministers or they are servants of Almighty God. if you 're going to be guarded, it isn 't through the greatness of some angel, it is through jesus christ hebrews one fourteen speaks about Ministering sir, spirits who are sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation, God uses means to accomplish His purposes, but any angelic involvement which you would not be aware of they're immaterial after all right uh, they're not material, so they are engaged of, of course, but it is got for God's purposes, and they function in that way Matthew. Uh, records in Matthew 18:10 this is where some are confused about it say it says see that you don't despise these little ones for i tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven in context Matthew's point here is the little ones are believers those that are children of god God is guarding them and yes, he does have ministering spirits, angelic beings who um, are warrior type beings that the scriptures talk about, but, but here I always get the image, always see the face of my father, uh, image of um, my border collie who is always ready for action, right? And you can imagine Jesus Christ is on the cross, the scripture tells us he could have called legion. Of these angels. Because why? They're always ready. They're ready to do what? Serve. Beloved, we should also be always ready to serve. But they are in their holy perfection. And that is the disposition of their heart and life. And the only reason we as servants of God aren't even more so wanting to do his will, it is the sin which besets us from time to time. MacArthur comments on this uh, succinctly I'll just quote him here this doesn't suggest that every believer has some sort of personal guardian angel rather the pronoun is collective and refers to the fact that believers are served by angels in general these angels are, are pictured always watching the face of God so as to hear his command and to to them to help a believer when needed it is extremely serious to treat any fellow believer with contempt since god and the holy angels are concerned for their well-being i think that's well said believers ultimately the what i wanted to emphasize you're guarded by christ you're guarded by god he may dispatch ministering servants to help accomplish to his will but nevertheless it is god and his will. Let's look at our text then and focus on this idea of being guarded, protected through the prayers of Christ guarded by God. Jesus begins in verse 9 here where we'll pick it up and we'll read the context through 18. Jesus says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me, for they're yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Let us pray. Father, I do pray that we will listen to the very prayer of Christ be comforted and be encouraged by it. May we have a sharper conviction to obey your will and to enjoy the joy that is provided in Christ Jesus for those that are in communion with him. I pray this in the sanctifying name of Jesus Christ amen now my focus here in if you'll notice here in verse 12 he says I've guarded them I've guarded them Jesus is referring to his idea here in the with those particular disciples he was physically with them now he's going to physically leave if you will but they still need to be guarded. This dynamic of guarding and protecting, it's going to change. It is through his intercessory prayer. It is through a triune God who will guard and protect the believer. The believer, by the way, must be guarded. Your faith must be protected. Protected. So that you will not be lost, verse 12, as the son of perdition. That you will endure to the very end. There are many things to be guarded from. But I'm going to highlight just three for the sake of time. I've noted them on the back of your worship folder, I think. If I can find mine. In any case, I think it's something to the effect of, and I change these words from time to time but often alliterate them just to help me remind myself of what they are and then I change them and then I forget them. Any case, denial. You need to be guarded from denying the faith. The second one is you have an adversary, the devil, and you need to be guarded from him. And the final is your own destruction or damnation. Believer, you need to be protected from those influences. You will find them here in our text, deduced certainly, I agree, but nevertheless, you'll find them here, and it's on those that I would like us to focus on this morning, those things that Christ is praying, protecting us from, guarding us from. If you notice, as I mentioned before, in verse 12, Jesus looks back on his ministry and he says, I kept them. I kept them in your name. That is, I kept them faithful to your name. Loyal, if you will. Now he says, he adds this phrase, I have guarded them. This expands this concept of loyalty to protection for the saint so that indeed you will not be overcome by these elements that are against you, that are warring against you your own flesh, the devil, and the consequences of giving in to those things, the very destruction of your soul. Jesus is praying. He is praying for his disciples to the very end. Now note here in our text, this is contrast to Judas who he sends away. He says, I lost... None of them except Judas because this was ordained by God. The scriptures needed to be fulfilled. How how were the scriptures fulfilled? Because God had already determined what would happen. He didn't make Judas become a betrayer. This was the condition of his heart. Might I say this is the condition, the natural state of every fallen man. They hate God. Then they might smile Why they do that. They might think in their mind that they don't, but they do. And it is demonstrated ultimately in the fact that you will not glorify God for who he is. That's wicked enough. We might think of wickedness in different terms and ways, but this is indeed the son of perdition, and it is evidenced in his betrayal his hypocrisy and how he sells out Christ none of the disciples that he's praying for and note in verse 9 and following he's not praying for the world he's not praying for Judas in that way he's praying for his disciples why so they wouldn't become Judas so they wouldn't betray the faith so they wouldn't be filled with the devil so that they wouldn't be destroyed The only reason that you are faithful and don't deny the faith, the only reason the devil doesn't overcome you, and the only reason you're not destroyed is through the prayers of Jesus Christ. No wonder we receive communion with him and think about him and respond in great praise and great glory for his work on behalf of his people. None will be lost because Christ is faithful. And even if you're not faithful, he is. He is faithful to the end. Believers are secure, not because they said some sort of mantra, not because they went through some sort of ritual, not because they got baptized in water. It is because of Christ. This is, we call this doctrine the doctrine of eternal security. It's a doctrine that describes a person's, it doesn't describe a person's act or actions in time, but rather the continual intercession of Christ guarding his beloved. He made a promise. What was his promise? Do you remember? I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is not a liar, and he's going to do it. He'll accomplish it. And that's how you endure to the end. The raising up is the giving of the glorified body. But the believer, though, must be protected. It is Jesus' prayer that protects them. This first aspect, this idea of Judas apostatizing the faith, denying the faith, truly denying it, It comes from his own heart, as I mentioned. It is a depraved mind of a fallen man. The mind that all of us are born with in Adam, and we begin with, is fatally flawed. It is fallen. In some sense, we were in Adam when he fell, and therefore received that same kind of mind. Christ comes and gives you a new mind, a regenerate mind. It's described as a stony heart that's now made alive. It was once impenetrable, and now it, it is alive, it is beating. Or you can think of it in the mind, you you were darkened, and now you see the light. But it is still flawed in that there is sin that remains in this temporal life, in the life of the believer. And that's hard for some people to get a grasp on. They think, oh, well, you became a Christian, so why'd you do that wrong thing? Because you will still wrestle. You'll wrestle with your own mind and thoughts. You will wrestle with the devil and the destructive forces thereof. Luther called this theology simul justus et peccator. In Latin, it simply means that believers, in one sense, are sinners and saints. Saints, as we mentioned, because of the payment of Christ for our sin. Saints, because of the perfection provided in Christ. But yet, in this temporal life, every one of you is going to die because the wages of sin is death. The good news is the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He will raise you up. But in this life, you're going to wrestle with that part of unredeemed humanity that remains even in regeneration. You're not perfect in this life. Now, God will bring about many things in your life to chip away those things that don't look like Christ in your life. But yet, you will always struggle with this to some degree. Paul uh, describes his doctrine. I'll read it for you in Romans 7. As he thinks of himself here, the greatest saint that I could ever imagine, right? The Apostle Paul. His his, uh, statement about himself, yeah, he will be a saint, right? A holy one. And yet he can also say, Oh, wretched man that I am. Right? Who will deliver me? And he praises it is indeed Christ who will deliver him. He explains this in Romans seven seventeen. He says, It's no longer I who do it, but, but sin that dwells in me. That's where we get the idea of indwelling sin or remaining sin. That sin that remains, that part of unredeemed humanity that is part of your life that you will struggle with that will die when you die and you will be raised up in a glorified body. He says, for, nothing, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. And then he qualifies, that is in my flesh, see? That part of unredeemed humanity is still fallen. I, but he describes the struggle this way. I have a desire to do what is right. Why well, does he have a desire to do what is Right because he's been given a new heart, new direction, new perspective. So there's something inside that wants to do, right? But I don't have the ability to carry it out. By the way, it'll... uh, This is a different sermon, but it'll be carried out through the power of the Holy Spirit, not in your flesh. For I do the good I want, but... I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. This is why... You remember, if you'll confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you of your unrighteousness. The difference, really, the trajectory of a Christian is that he has this desire to want to confess. He has a desire to do what is right. And yes, they are sanctified, as Christ will pray, and we'll talk about later, in the truth, so that you continually Grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord, your sanctification, if you will, continues to grow, but it won't be fully accomplished until you're in a glorified state when Christ raises you up on the last day. In the interim, right now, here between the regeneration of the Spirit and the glorification of the flesh, you must be protected. You must be guarded. Be aware of that. You must be guarded that indeed that you will not abandon the faith, that you will not follow the desires of the flesh and be destroyed by the devil. The depravity of your heart, these various sinful actions that we we do begin in the mind. James talks about this in James 1, verse 14. He's talking about temptation. A person is tempted, James would say, when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. He's talking about his own evil desire on the inside. That desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death begins in the mind. It acts out in the life. And you see the dilemma, don't you? We're in this battle with our own mind. We're wrestling with it. We, we, we want to do that, which is right. We've given, been given the mind of Christ, and yet there is a sin that remains that we must battle against. The hymnist wrote about the blessing O oh God that comes at that very time. He calls it a fount of blessing. O oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to, de- to thee. You get the imagery? That's where it comes from. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Why do people abandon the faith? There's much thought on that. Parents have great concern about their children who have been exposed to the truth then go off into their career, the world if you will college they're exposed to things perhaps that they didn't hear about or circumstances they don't know and they abandon the faith this is, this is a problem that many quote unquote evangelicals talk about solutions have been given and books written and Some of which are, well, should have better discipline in the home. Instruction and guidance prior to leaving the shelter of home. The church needs to be better in presenting these truths. I think all of those are good and should be there. But don't neglect the fundamental and foundational thing. It's a heart issue. External actions won't bring about a change of heart. Now, drag them to church. I'm all for that. Require that. Yes, you should. Expose them to that, but also warn them to examine their own heart to see if they're in the faith. Are there any true desires on the inside, not to please mom and dad, but is there love and affection for Christ? I submit to you that the reason these children walk away or someone perhaps that publicly has been in the faith a long time and then a, turns away. We call this apostasy, right? I submit to you the reason they do is not because of lack of training and instruction and discipline and all of that. I'm I'm all for all those things. But you know the real problem is they never had it to begin with. They were not walking in the faith to begin with. It may look like they're walking in the faith. They, They might have filled out the right forms and charts and and underline the right things in their Bible, but they never had it to begin with. Don't take my word for it. Take an inspired apostle who got this word from the Holy Spirit. John himself would write in his epistle 219 to explain. They went out from us, 1 John 219, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. And why do they go out? That it might be plain that they are not of us. And this is important to make that distinction and to tell them, you're not a Christian come to Christ. Continue to preach the gospel to them. Don't comfort them in, oh, well, you said some little statement at one time, and and you went through some sort of ritual. Maybe Christ will take you in the end. No, he's not. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that. I'll just say this as a side, too, with my children as well, experience that I had. Listen, they grew up in a Christian home. All of them confessed Christ as Lord, but it needed to be demonstrated in their life, and I continually challenged them on it then and continually challenged them on it now. Examine your own heart. Yeah, let them say the sinner's prayer a thousand times. I think that's good. Fine. Let let them know about Christ, but also ask them to examine their own heart. Do they come to awareness? Do you love Jesus Christ? Is he truly Lord? This abandonment of Christ, and in our text it notes the son of perdition, Judas himself, makes it evident that he never embraced them. You can do nice and noble things in life. You can be an excellent theological scholar. But in the end, Jesus, like he did with Judas, will say, It's time to leave. Depart from me. I never knew you. And that's the real question to ask your own heart. Not do you know Jesus, but does he know you? Those who don't remain leave because they're not given in our context because Jesus kept them, kept them loyal in the faith. It wasn't their own upbringing and doing. It is because of the work of Christ. And beyond that, he guarded them so that they indeed would not apostatize the faith. And I know I mentioned this before, but I like this passage and I just want to bring it to your attention. You might want to turn there. Luke 22. Luke 22. Because it's in context with this um, contrast. Uh, and I've mentioned this multiple times, but um, I do like repeating myself. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. He said, remember, Jesus sends Judas out. Jesus doesn't lose anyone except the son of perdition, right? But why does, and why does Peter deny and he's restored? Here's why. Luke twenty two thirty one 31 gives us the answer. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, verse 32. And this is what you need to underline. I have prayed for you (laughs) that your faith will not fail. You know why your faith hasn't failed? Christ is praying for you. No wonder we sing all glory, laud, and honor, right? He prays for me. I gave my heart as a teenage boy to Christ, didn't grow up in a Christian home, wasn't even uh, helped, educated by great truth, went to a secular school, all of that, Against how in the world, looking back on it now, as a child, did I did I remain faithful in the Lord? Was it because i 'm just a great guy? No, it's because Christ prayed for me, and when I did fail, I repented that's the difference in a Christian. You understand. I'm not giving you a license to do evil because a Christian doesn't want to do evil. he struggles against it, but when he does. He turns again. That's the imagery here in verse 32 of Luke 22. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. How does Christ know that Peter's going to repent? Because he's keeping them. He's guarding him from his own denial of the faith. And if Christ didn't pray for him, he would have been like Judas. You may struggle. It may feel like you are just sinking in the depth of the ocean, but like Peter, you pray the simplest thing that you can, Lord, help me, and he'll grab and pull you up and put you on solid ground. The fact that you cry out to Christ is evidence that you're alive. If you're dead, you would just sink to the bottom and be consumed by it it is Christ's high priestly prayer that prays and guards your faith even this hour the adversary is mentioned here in this Luke 22 we're going back now to our text in John 17 to talk about the second aspect that is this evil one the devil he's our adversary satan he demanded peter i suppose it might be and i don't know this but why peter pointed out particularly he is a disciple of christ we we know what will happen in his life and his influence in proclaiming the gospel but nevertheless why is he why satan demanding peter i think this adversary recognizes Peter's failures and says, well, look, he's broken your law. He deserves destruction. Let me have him. He's failed the righteous requirements of the law. Satan is an accuser of the brethren and this is what he does. book of Revelation chapter 12 talks about that. In our text, and notice in John seventeen, if you're back there, drop down to verse fifteen, because this ties into twelve, what Jesus is guarding them about. He doesn't take them out of the world, verse fifteen. That is this culture, the society where we live. But but what is he praying? Ultimately, what is he guarding him from? Number two? The devil. I pray that you keep. Them from the evil one. The evil one is the devil and those under his influence, including demons, false teachers, apostates, atheists, and beloved, even agnostics. Somebody asked, What's the difference between an atheist and an agnostic? And they replied, I don't know and I don't care. But I digressed. The word devil is a translated, transliterated word in Greek. It, it means slanderer or false accuser. A slanderer takes some aspects that are true and twists them to mean something else. And if you're not sure, just watch cable news. You'll find it out real quick. It's a twisting It's a false accusation in the end because they don't look at context. They don't look at uh, the way things are intended. They try to make them appear differently. Now, I have a few scriptures I'll read for you, but for the sake of time, you can go ahead and jump to 1 Timothy 4 because some of these others you'll know. 1st Timothy 4 and then I'll read a couple other texts just in your hearing so you don't have to run all over the place the devil is a liar he's a deceiver you need to know that the accuser of the brethren is not making this accusation on fact he's making it up he is a liar he is twisting slandering Jesus confronted people who rejected him leaders religious leaders who rejected Jesus Christ and his rebuttal to them in John 8:44 if you remember he says you are of your father the devil And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. By the way, contrasted that to Christ, who is what? Truth incarnate, the devil. No truth in him. So when he speaks, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and a father of lies. You want to know where lies come from? Right there from the devil, the liar himself. The, another word is used for the devil, it's Satan. And there's a number of words, but these are uh, the more common. The devil, slander, Satan is really the idea of an adversary, an adversary. Peter, who had great experience with all of this, who Satan desired to sift him as wheat, right? Writes in his epistle, and I'll read it for you in your hearing, 1 Peter 5, 8. His charge applicable to you today is to be sober, to be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, adversary, the devil, the enemy, if you will, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That is the circumstance in which exists even now. I mean, if there was some wild animal outside that door, I think you would be a little alert about it, wouldn't you? You would be mindful, watchful, careful. Oh, beloved... Recognize there isn't a moment of the day that doesn't go by that your adversary would love to take you down. And so the charge is to live watchful, a sober life. And to do this, resist him firm in your faith. Resist him firm in your faith. It is Christ who will give you the strength to indeed resist the devil. Let's look at verse 1 of 1 Timothy 4. Because you may think, well, how does this devil manifest himself? It's not some sort of horror show, a physical thing that's going to tear you limb to limb it's going to affect your mind. It's going to come from false teaching. Amazing to me when I read the New Testament and hear all of the warnings about false teachers. This is early on when it just started. They didn't have time for a number of these cults that we know about today to exist. But here's a great warning because this is this is the trajectory of the liar. It is in teaching. 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit especially says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. That is, they will apostasize. right? They're going to go away. So what's going to be that catalyst for it? They will devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons and through the insincerity of liars whose conscience are seared and they gives them an example this isn't all of it this is just an example of it oh really what kind of false teaching what kind of lies are coming out that are called demonic and inspired by the devil if you will here is an example well they're going to forbid in marriage well God ordained marriage from the very beginning Right? They're going to forbid marriage. Or might I even say, don't promote it. Okay, Tell people, oh, you shouldn't do that. Now, I understand some folks will not be married, and Paul talked about that. They have a gift. But that's the exception to the rule. This is the rule. And here, in their case, there were those who forbade marriage, require abstinence from foods, that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Make your own decision about food, but let no one judge you in food or drink, right? I mean, you may want to eat certain things that are good for you, healthy for you. Maybe you react differently, particularly to all the plethora of things that we have out there now. Use wisdom in it, but it, but it isn't, life is not about food and drinking, Prior to the uh, to the to the fall, they ate vegetables. But after and the charge in the Noahic covenant was eat everything. Certain restrictions came under the Mosaic law to only a group of people, and all of those have been done away with in Christ under the new covenant. Eating and drinking will not commend you to God. That's a false teaching. There's some truth, and then it's twisted. Some is outright lie. And he gives the explanation here, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. John will say... In his second epistle, that many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess, and in his analogy, his uh, specific issue was that Christ didn't come in the flesh. Anyway, he says that person that would deny the humanity of Christ is a deceiver and the antichrist, that is, against Christ. Watch for yourself so that you don't lose. Everyone who goes ahead and doesn't abide in the teachings of Christ doesn't have God. The devil is your adversary, and he's a pretty tough one. But you have an advocate in Jesus Christ. That's the answer. An advocate in a judicial sense that he pleads on our behalf. So Satan then imagine before the throne of God accuses you of all these things that are you're rightly just to be accused of, but yet our advocate as Christ is, I paid for that one, I paid for that one, I paid for all of them, and therefore righteous in Christ, just and Christ the Justifier. Believe this. The devil is a great foe. Martin Luther wrote a hymn that we're familiar with, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He's the fortress. Christ is guarding and protecting this bulwark that never fails. We don't confide, it says, in our own strength, otherwise our striving would be what? Losing. Losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath is his name from age to age the same, and he will win the battle. Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fell him. What's that word? Christ. That's it. Because why? The devil is a liar. Christ is the truth. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to him abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours, and through him who, who with us sideth. Let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Makes you want to break out singing, doesn't it? greater is he who is in you that is he is in the world you have a great adversary you have a great advocate Christ the Lord and it is he that is praying for you and the only reason you're not destroyed by the devil this is the trajectory and that's the third point that I want to get to that I may not completely finish but I think you'll get the idea and that is the destruction maybe you can think of damnation damnation It is Judas who has succumbed. He has apostatized the faith. He has denied it truly. He has been filled with the devil, and his life is going to be destroyed, both temporally and eternally. Temporally, he commits suicide, doesn't he? He has great shame. Judas is a poster child for the lost, He would fit our idiom for tall, dark, and handsome. If he was in your yearbook, you would have chosen him the most likely to succeed. Those that were closest to him felt like he was really top choice. But Jesus knew what was in his heart and called him the son of perdition and sent him away. And It wasn't just this last prayer event before they did that. He always knew it from the very beginning. Chapter 6, verse 7, he says, Didn't I choose the twelve, and one of you is the devil? Judas demonstrates what it's like to walk according to the course of the world. Jesus told his disciples in 1321 that, Hey, one of you is going to betray me, truly, truly. That means absolutely. In 13, 27, he gives them the morsel from the table. Satan enters him, and Jesus says, go. Go, do what you're going to do. Do it quickly. He explains in 1429 to his disciples, I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. In other words, that your faith would grow in Christ because he is the truth. What he says is trustworthy. What the devil says is a lie. He says, I'm not going to walk with you much longer for the ruler of the world is coming, but he has no claim on me. I do what the Father's commanded me. In other words, he's always in the Father's will, so that you know that I love the Father. It's a high priestly prayer of Christ that you will not be perished or destroyed with the rest of humanity, Judas like. We live in a world with many destructive aspects. You might refer to them as vices, if you will. Things that will destroy you. The devil would twist the teaching on this. Describe it as, well, we're just trying to be loving or... We just love one another. Well, that doesn't square with Christ's word. And Christ is the truth. And what you're saying then is a twisting of his truth, and therefore it is a lie. It is a doctrine of demons, and what's worse is it will destroy you. Most of you are are familiar with Romans chapter 1 it deals with uh, specific things. One is homosexual, homosexuality, for example. But in that, they hear the truth and then they believe the lie. So what happens when you do that is that you, God will judicially give you up, Romans one twenty four, Verse 26, God gives them up to dishonorable passions. And and specifically, he's dealing with homosexuality. Women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Men likewise gave up their natural relations with women, were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts. But this is judgment. God giving them up. Allowing that to go on is, as the text would say, they receive in themselves the due penalty for their error. Why? It is going to destroy them. This is not happy. This is not helpful. It is not wholesome. It is not going to promote life. It will produce death. I don't care how much they lie about it and how they say this is actually good. It's not good, it's evil. It is not that. It's anything that stands against Christ and his word. He'll go on in this text to elaborate. Not that that's the only thing. That's something obvious. You're reaping judgment. And that is the judgment. God will give you up judicially over that. They're filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Verse 29 of Romans 1. Evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty. By the way, there is no room for pride for those that are in Christ. It's a a serious thing. Boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. And not only do they do them, they give approval to those who practice them. See? And that's the culture you live in, by the way. It doesn't want to just permit these things. It wants you to celebrate these things. And the sad news is that temporal destruction will lead to eternal destruction, I can assure you, and it's going to be a lot worse. These things envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossiping, slander, ha- hating God. This is not going to be healthy, wholesome in your temporal life. This will lead to dis- a, a, a mean-spirited, destructive person in this life. But what's worse, is the eternal destruction. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. But we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls, Hebrews 4, 30, 10, 39, and it now we're reminded again the reason why is because the intercessory work of Christ. To him be the glory. He prays for his disciples to be guarded by God to the end of the age from, de, from them their own self-denial of the faith, for the teaching, the evil twisting of the devil and his doctrines, demonic doctrines, and the destruction of the flesh, both temporally and eternally. We have great praise, then, to give Christ, as we're reminded in his word, of what he's doing, even now, intercessing for us, to keep us from stumbling, and present you blameless before the presence of his glory, with great joy let's pray father we want to be in your presence and i pray for those that might be struggling with sin in their life whatever it be specified here in your text or things that aren't even mentioned i pray that they will not struggle without hope but recognize they have help in christ and even if it's a pathetic cry help me lord i pray that we would pray that prayer seek your help, and knowing you will not turn a deaf ear to those who call to you in faith. I pray that Christ would be glorified in the rescuing and in the securing of your believers. Continue to guard us that we may indeed have great joy now and forevermore. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Take a moment, beloved, I give you a moment now to reflect privately and personally with Christ on these things. Take a moment now. Pray this in Christ's name, Amen. All right, we're going to have to do Mighty Fortress, aren't we? I was one to sing it in the middle of the service. Should have sung it then. Just close and let y'all leave early. But uh, what number is that? Six 56. six fifty-six. Sorry, Jerry, throwing you a curveball, but you can handle it because they'll sing it out loud. Six what? Five six six five, six. Well, let's stand and sing that, and we'll do um, the first and the last. We'll have to do two, right? The first and the last, and we'll be dismissed on that. Six, five, six.
1: thankful for the tremendous work you still do at the right hand of the throne of god lord who continually pleading for us lord and and indeed guarding us from these three things lord keeping our faith strong and intact lord so we do not deny thee for satan who seeks to destroy us and and everything that we stand for and for the destruction to come for those who have not uh, committed themselves to Thee. Father, we just pray that the grace now of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now from this time forth and forevermore. Amen and amen.